back to the Mid-American Bandwagon, episode two here. We appreciate everyone that, that tuned in last week. We appreciate all the love and all the support on uh, on, on Twitter and, and uh, our other platforms. So we appreciate that. Uh, good to be back here for week two. I am Zach Polidor, joined by my co-host, Sam Philman. Sam, how are you, man? How are things in Indianapolis? Oh, things are going great, except the whole coronavirus thing. That's still going yeah. on. But we, we want to give a big thanks to you guys. We had 57 plays on our first episode. So big shout out to you guys. Thank you for the Call to Action podcast for uh, helping us out, kind of promoting that. And we're, we're just on the grind. We're just going to keep trying to grow this podcast as best we can. For any of our listeners uh, that, that did listen to that first podcast, you know, please do share, share this with your friends, anyone that you know that enjoys Maction, that is part of the Maction tribe. Uh, we want to reach them. You know, we, we, you know, we started this podcast to, to hopefully give the Mac a little bit of a, of a bigger platform and some extra mm-hmm. coverage. So um, please, guys, share this. Interact with us on Twitter. Follow uh, the Mac Bandwagon podcast. And then also, you know, me, me and Sam as well, we, we tweet a lot uh, of, of related content. So follow us, join us for the ride. So when we left off last week on, uh, on Friday, we were obviously coming off of some breaking news uh, where the Big Ten had announced that they uh, are going strictly conference games for football season for 2020. Obviously, that had a, a big impact on the MAC with uh, the, the conferences having 11 games between each other. So, Sam, I know there have been some developments uh, in the last week or so since that news came out. Some of it, you know, centering around kind of the, the language in the contracts and, and how, you know, that might play itself out. So, so what have you been uh, what have you been hearing about that? So it's been it's been like a crazy week. I don't know if you've been keeping up to date, Zach, but just it just seems like everything in college football and partially fell apart when you think about it. Every conference is going strictly to conference so far. We don't really know what the schedule is looking like. Apparently, the uh, Big Ten and the ACC are scheduling like future games to help make up for the lost games due to the virus. And then the another thing that brings up is the money situation. Do the Mac schools still get paid for those games? How is that all working out? Or are they just going to kind of forgive the bigger schools, if you will? Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I was following along a, a, a tweet thread um, a couple of days ago on Twitter from, uh, from Jordan Strack, who is the, uh, the sports director at WTOL uh, TV in Toledo. And one of the things he said uh, in conversations he's hearing was something that you mentioned, Sam, about how the Big Ten, um, you know, working with the MAC to, to guarantee them future games uh, in, in football and in basketball to help kind of make up some of that, um, some of that lost revenue that they're going to, you know, be losing out on this year from from not being able to play those games. Um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think I appreciate that move from the Big Ten. I think that makes sense. However, I also don't know how much that's going to help these MAC teams, you know, this year that are trying to recover some of this lost money this year. It'll be interesting to see. You know, we were talking before the show, Sam, I don't know if, if some of these contracts might end up in court or whatever, but it's going to be interesting to see if, if the Big Ten teams end up having to pay any of, the, of this, uh, this money from these contracts of these games that have going to be canceled. Yeah, and athletic directors or athletic uh, programs depend on this kind of guaranteed money from these, from these schools to 
maintain the rest of their uh, schools because football is a big one. And if you're getting $1.6 million and now you don't have that, you don't have $2 million from playing programs, it's going to hurt. It's going to be interesting to see the fallout for not only this season, but future seasons. Because when you look at the amount of programs they have, they don't just have football, they have tennis, they have lacrosse, they have all these programs that depend on this money. And athletic directors are kind of just like looking around saying like, what do, what do we do? How do we make up the funding? Yeah. So, so like, it's just, it's, it's, it's a terrible situation we're in, but these athletic directors and athletic programs are put in kind of bad situations, if you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. There was a quote that came out from Mac commissioner, um, uh, John Steinbrecher uh, last week after the Big Ten's announcement where he basically was like, our interest was in playing a full schedule. You know, we know that everyone is, you know, exploring different options and stuff like that, but we did not expect this decision so soon. Uh, and really just talking about how, you know, those games really are valuable to them. You know, the Mac television contract, I, I was I was curious about this. So I looked it up, Sam, because we, we talked last week a lot about like revenue for the Mac. And, and how big and how important these guarantee games are. The MAC television deal right now is, is worth $10 million annually. So you split that up 12 ways between each of your member schools, and you're looking at less than a million dollars per school for the television contract. So to lose uh, a guarantee game where the payout's a million dollars, or for some of these schools, you know, if you look at Ball State, you know, a couple other, Central Michigan, and some of these other schools that have two games versus the Big 12, or excuse me, the Big Ten, to lose two games like that where you're potentially bringing in a million dollars in revenue from each of those games, that's not going to be easy to recover. So um, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what the MAC does. And, and obviously, we will continue to keep you guys updated on this story. I think this story right here is really going to kind of dominate the college football headlines for the next couple of weeks as we get a little bit closer to when camp would be opening. It's going to be interesting to see what, uh, what the MAC and, and what college football at large does um is there anything else you had there sam to add about the about the scheduling situation um not really i'm just hoping we can we can figure out a scheduling way because in my mind if you can't get non-conference how does that impact the like bowl games yeah. because when you look at it like uh, i'm sure we all remember like the buffalo charlotte bowl game the french fry bowl game which ohio took it so how how does this impact bowl games how yeah. does this impact the college football playoff it's just a lot of moving parts that we just haven't really uh, figured out anybody really. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's going to be an interesting year for college football. And I do not envy the people that are in the positions that have to make these decisions. I, I don't, I don't think there's uh, they're going to be too popular. Some actually some, some pretty cool news here came out just yesterday where the preseason awards watch lists are starting to come out for, mm -hmm. you know, the various national college football awards and um, the, the Benaric Award, the Benaric watch list for the top defensive player in the country uh, came out yesterday. And four MAC players um, were a part of that list, which is, uh, which is pretty cool for a conference like the MAC. So we have, um, you have in there, you got Ball State cornerback Antonio Phillips, uh, Buffalo defensive end Taylor Riggins, Central Michigan linebacker Troy Brown, and then Miami safety Sterling Weatherford all four making that preseason watch list. Sam, I know you're you're a Ball State guy. What are your thoughts on Antonio Phillips? I know he had a good year last year. Do, do you think he can take that next step this season? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, as you mentioned, the preseason teams are just – and Phil Steele, who does his kind of preseason preview, selected 11 total Cardinals 
to those preseason all Max. But on Antonio Phillips, yeah, I, I love his game. Him and uh, Ameki uh, Azudom, I, I'm yeah, terrible. That one's, a, that one's a mouthful. It, it's, it's tough to pronounce names, but those two are going to be key to watch in this season. They formed kind of a dynamic duo, if you want, in that backfield to kind of force um, the Mac high in interceptions last year with 15. He's really a key part. He's coming into his own. I think people are starting to respect him, and it just shows uh, his work paid off. He was selected to the Bernard Award watch list. Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting um, that he was second in the Mac last year with four interceptions, mm-hmm. and the person who was first in the Mac was Amechi Uzodinma, who you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the two top returning uh, cornerbacks in the MAC uh, in the same secondary that led the conference in interceptions last year. You'd like to think that the Ball State defense can use that as kind of a foundation to improve a little bit from last season. I know I think if their defense might have been, a, you know, made a couple more stops for them last year, they probably would have made a bowl game. So it'll be interesting to see if they can use kind of the strength of that secondary to, to kind of make, take that next step this year. Do you, do you see that happening? Oh, I, I totally see that happening. I, I, I think it's going to be weird with this whole, like, only conference schedule. But yeah. there is – like, I have all faith in Antonio Phillips to show why, like, he deserves to be drafted next year. But we'll just have to wait and see. He, perf- he performed excellent last year. I hope he can take it – I hope he can take it to the next level next year. Yeah. And I tell you what, the, the guy that really stands out from this group for me is Taylor Riggins, the defensive end from Buffalo. He really had a, a breakout season last year. He was also on the All-Mac first team along with Antonio Phillips. Second in the conference last year in sacks with 8.5. I, re- I actually remember him from last year. I remember uh, early in the season, my alma mater, Penn State, played Buffalo, and um, Antonio Phillips actually had a sack in that game. That game... Uh, you look at the final score, it was 45 to 13, but Buffalo was actually winning that game at halftime. It was 10 to 7. In the first half of that game, their defense really, really shut Penn State's uh, offensive attack down. And uh, Phillips, or I'm sorry, Riggins was a big reason for that. He was in the backfield the whole game. Like I said, he did have one of his eight and a half sacks that game. I came away from that game really impressed by him, and I wasn't, uh, wasn't surprised at all. Uh, to see the uh, the success that he went on to have that season, a lot of people are expecting big things from Buffalo this year. And um, if they're gonna if they're gonna reach their goals, I think Riggins is gonna have to build upon the year that he had last year on on the defensive line for him. Oh, he he's definitely gonna be a big reason why him and both Malcolm Coots on that defensive line is really scary looking out for him. Buffalo already led the league in sacks last year, if I do. Yeah, that is that's correct. Yeah, with forty three. So when you, when you look at that defense, you got to watch out for him. Not only do you have one guy to focus on, you can't really double team anybody because if you go towards one person, whether it's Koontz or Riggins, the other guy's going to be left one on one. So it's going to be tougher the offensive lines in the MAC to stop Buffalo's yeah. defense. I agree with that. Did you have any um, any thoughts about either of those other two guys, uh, Troy Brown from Central Michigan or, or Weatherford from Miami? Um, I think Weatherford is going to be a really nice piece. I think uh, last episode we touched on his teammate last year, or you did. Yeah, Manny Rugamba. Yeah. So, again, we talk about dynamic duos. Another dynamic duo, Miami's secondary. You have Buffalo's um, 
you have Ball State secondary, you have Miami secondary, now you have Buffalo's uh, edge, ed, like defensive yeah. line. So there's not really any easy points this season when it looks like I would have liked them to see uh, non-conferencely how they would have planned out, but things happen. So we're going to get some great action this year, some really great defensive production. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think the only thing I would say, Troy Brown from Central Michigan, I just think this is a guy here, you want to talk about versatility. This is a guy that, that really can do it all from the linebacker position for Central Michigan. I mean, you think about defensive football nowadays and, and you're looking for guys that are a little bit more quote unquote positionless that, you know, if they're at the lining up at the linebacker spot, guys that can rush the passer, but can also get back in coverage. And I think he fits that description to a T. I mean, he, he led the Chippewas in tackles last year with 91. He had 16 and a half tackles for loss, which led the Mac. And he also had three interceptions. So this is a guy that can get into the backfield. He's not afraid to be physical and stop the run. He can also draw back into coverage and, and, and cover some of those slot receivers and running backs coming out of the background uh, or the backfield, excuse me. I think this is going to be a guy that's, that's going to be a, a pillar for, um, for, for Central Michigan's defense this year. In some other news, just uh, just yesterday, uh, we had some uh, some transfer news, and so Armani Rogers, who spent his last three years at UNLV as a quarterback, uh, he announced yesterday that he would be transferring to Athens and uh, being becoming a part of, of the Ohio Bobcat program. Uh, Sam, what uh, what what are your thoughts there on on Armani Rogers and how this might affect the quarterback room at, at Ohio? I think I think it's a really good fit for both uh, teams. When you look at Ohio Bobcats who are coming out of season, which they have to replace Nathan Rourke, kind of their leader, their senior uh, quarterback, and they didn't really know who it was. Yes, his brother could have fit in, or they had some backups. But Armani Roger coming in with that three-year experience, where he was a dual threat UNLV, he they needed a quarterback. He needed a place to where he could elevate his game. I think it's a great fit all around. Yeah, I think I think from a like athletically and and from the type of skill set that he has, I think he fits the Ohio program very very well in terms of like what they look for as as a quarterback. This is a guy who's obviously a dual threat uh, in his three years in Las Vegas uh, for the Rebels. He combined he he rushed for over a thousand yards there. Um, the thing that's interesting to me, and just looking at kind of his his career progression and his stats. Admittedly, I, I don't follow UN, UNLV that closely, so I'm not sure what happened. But it seems to me that his playing time has decreased over the past three years. I know he threw like over 100 passes as a freshman back in 2017. And in the past two seasons, both years, it looks like his playing time has decreased. So it, I'll be interested to see or learn why that might have happened. I don't know if they might have had other quarterbacks on the roster that they just like more. But I do agree with you that from a, from a skill set perspective, he definitely fits the mold of what Ohio looks for. I think coming into this year, until this uh, news was announced, I think Nate's young, Nathan Rourke's younger brother, Curtis, was assumed to be the starter for the Bobcats this fall. I, I don't think it's necessarily safe to assume that anymore, though. And I think when you when you come into a system where you have under Frank Solich's guidance, it's gonna be it's gonna be a kind of scary thought to face this offense when you have a dynamic guy like uh, Armani Rogers coming in with that offense. Oh, how was already scary with Nathan Rourke? I think being a even bigger dual threat kind of 
helps Ohio out because not only do you have to worry about the pass, you have to worry about the run. And I feel like he's a more dynamic athlete than Rourke. And I think we're going to see some great things out of the Bobcat offense. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who uh, who emerges from from that quarterback battle in uh, in fall camp here in a couple of weeks. One last bit of news for you guys today. This is actually just this news just came across our desk right before we hit record here on uh, on Tuesday afternoon. But it looks like the uh, the MAC is indefinitely suspending their their upcoming football media day, which was originally scheduled for August third and August fourth. I think obviously this is tied to the news that we talked about at the top of the show with, you know, the schedules being in flux and not really sure what this season is going to look like. It's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, if that gets rescheduled or what kind of format they look for with that. Obviously a lot of uncertainty around the start of the season right now. So we're just going to have to, I think, play the wait and see game over these next couple of weeks and um, let's see what happens there. As, as far as the rest of the show goes for our next segment here, we wanted to do a little bit uh, overrated, underrated coming to this, you know, this upcoming Mac football season. So we had tweeted this question out uh, last week on Friday afternoon, I believe. I know we got some responses from the fans, which we greatly appreciate. And we will get to those here in a second. But to start it off, uh, Sam and I both wanted to kind of go through our breakdown of, of who we thought was overrated and underrated going into this season uh, anyway, and we're talking about, to be clear, we're talking about teams here, not necessarily players. So, Sam, if you want to start us off, who, who did you have as your overrated team for this year going into the 2020 season? So, it, it was a bit, I would say it was a bit tougher to come up with overrated, underrated. I, so, uh, before the news hit that Armani Rogers was transferring to Ohio, I yeah. had the Ohio Bobcats in. It was, it was simply because they hadn't figured out the quarterback situation out. We they have an excellent team around them. They have many starters coming back. But when you look at a team, it depends on its quarterback. They didn't have it. Not to mention, it, they statistically, the Bobcats didn't really stand out. Eighth in sacks, fourth in sacks a lot, tenth in interceptions. That Those stats didn't strike confidence in me moving forward with this team. I think Ohio and these Mackey's teams are always a little bit overrated before the whole like non-conference thing, they were projected at eight and a half wins, the win yeah. total for the season. Yeah. I think that was a bit high for them. Now with teams, I see them possibly getting like five, six wins with only non-conference. And when you look at this team, I just don't think, I love Frank Solich and what he's done. He's an excellent coach by any means. I just don't see this team moving forward just this season doing that great. Yeah. I, so I, I agree with you in the sense that I, I do think that the eight and a half win total was probably a little bit high for this team. Obviously, losing Nathan Rourke, that's, that's uh, I mean, he was a cornerstone of their program for four years. So, so it's always tough to see a guy like that walk out the door, especially when he has school records and total touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, and total yards. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's an all-time great for your program right there that you're losing. I think the, the thing that still gives me optimism for Ohio this year is the fact that they have four offensive linemen returning from a team that averaged 220 yards per game on the ground last year. So I think the line along with running back O'Shawn Allison, who had a great freshman season last year, I think they can maybe lean on the run game a little bit. The defense does worry me. The quarterback battle does worry me. I'm curious to see how that's going to get played out. 
the other thing that worries me about this team that might seem like a small thing, but this team lost their, their kicker, their punter, their long snapper, and both of their top two returners last year. Mm -hmm. So special teams might be a struggle for Ohio this year and special teams. I feel like some people forget about it as kind of like that third phase of the game. But if you're not on, you know, if you don't have your, your eyes dotted and your T's crossed on the special teams, that can lose you games. And so I think that'll be interesting to see what they're able to put out there at punter kicker at the return positions, see how that might be able to help them. So that right there, I think that along with the defense last year, not the best. They do need to improve 80th in the country in, in passing defense and 76th overall. So not, not, you know, below average on defense last year, they're going to have to see some improvement on that side of the ball if they, if they want to reach that win total. Yeah, and this was, again, before the news, like we did this yesterday before the news dropped that our Bonnie Rogers was transferring. But I still think they're a little bit overrated. As you mentioned, the quarterback battle, it's not easy going into a year where you haven't really figured out your quarterback yet. Their, their line scares me just because, yes, they have an excellent run offense. But protecting uh, Armani Rogers or Nathan Rourke's brother is going to be a huge key. And I don't know, even getting that year of experience, if that's going to be good enough. When you look at Buffalo's front two, the dynamic duo, when you have elite corners on Miami and Ball State. So it's not exactly going to be easy to throw the ball or score on offense this year. And that just worries me. Yeah. I, I can I agree with that completely. I think that's a very good point. So it is going to be interesting to see how the Bobcat season plays out. For my overrated team, I'm going back to a team that I talked about a little bit uh, last week, and, that, and that's Toledo. Here, here's my thing with, with Toledo. I know Jason Candle is a great recruiter. I know the Rockets reached a bowl game in all three of his first three seasons. I, I can't help but feel that Jason Candle really just kind of came in and tried to keep the, the car running when Matt Campbell left for Iowa State. Jason Candle's best two years at Toledo were his, his first two seasons after Matt Campbell left. He went nine and uh, nine and three, or I'm sorry, nine and four in his first year and 11 and three in his second year, which included a Mac title game uh, appearance and a, and a win. They won the conference that year in 2017. So his first two years, he, his teams went to combine 20 and seven. These last two years, haven't had necessarily the same success seven and six, two years ago with a bowl loss and then six and six last year uh, didn't even make a bowl game. And you had, but in both of those seasons, you had people predicting Toledo to win the conference or at very least win their division and get to Ford field again. So you have two incredibly disappointing seasons uh, here. And I, I just, again, I can't get past this sense of the fact that candle came in and was kind of riding off the coattails of Matt Campbell's best recruiting classes when he was still there. Since then, I know Candle is a good recruiter. He's had the top, uh, the top rated recruiting class in the, in the MAC the last two years. But at a certain point, you know, getting those recruits on the campus is only half the battle. The second half of that battle is what can you do with them? How can you develop that talent once, once it's on campus? And, and I just don't know that I'm sold uh, on this coaching staff as far as in-game adjustments go and getting their team ready to play. I mean, I look at games last year, for example, when Toledo traveled to Muncie, Sam. I know you were at that game when Ball State just absolutely boat raced them. They put 52 points on them. You look at games where last year they lost to, to their biggest rival, Bowling Green. Bowling Green only won three games last season. 
One of them was an FCS team. The other one was Akron, who was 0-12. The third was Toledo. I mean, if you're, if you're a program like Toledo that has that type of talent, those are not games that you can lose. I also see, you know, they finished the season. They were sitting at 6-3, and three, just needed to win one more game down the stretch of the season to, to cement their bowl eligibility. And they lost all three of those games and finished 6-6, six and six, and they didn't make it to a bowl for the first time since, uh, since 2013. So I just – there's, there's a lot of, of kind of trends there to me that point down for Toledo. I still think they could get to a bowl game this season. I just don't know that they are going to be able to get back to that high water point that they were at when they had Matt Campbell and in Candle's first couple of seasons. Yeah, I, I, th- I, I if you hadn't picked Toledo, I would have picked Toledo, to be honest. And when you look at things, everything you mentioned is true. He has had a drop-off since Matt Campbell. But the thing that saves me in my mind is, yes, he's had a drop-off from Matt Campbell, but yet he hasn't produced a below 500 record. And when I look at, yes, he hasn't produced up to his ability like Matt Campbell, like his 9-4 and and 11-3 seasons. However, he hasn't totally just kind of sank the ship when you look at a coach like Mike New, he hasn't had a winning season at all. And yeah. Jason Candle, even though he's had help from Matt Campbell, he still had a coach. He still had to do his day-to-day things and produce. Yeah. Yes, it hasn't been to excellent ability. He hasn't won the MAC um, East or whatever a ton. He hasn't won it every year like he probably should with the number one recruiting class. But, yeah, he's still produced to a average to above average kind of result so so I I get what you're saying I do think Toledo's overrated they're overrated every year they always have high projections but I say pump the brakes a little bit just for the fact that he hasn't totally done a terrible job yeah I think the next two or three seasons will really tell the story of Jason Candle to see if Mm -hmm. he can get them back to where they were back, you know, like 2013 to 2015. Moving on to our underrated team, Sam. I, I really liked your uh, your pick for for underrated here. Um, so so tell us a little bit about your your selection there. So the so I picked Kent Stay as my underrated, and there's one name I think we all know who I'm talking about. Why I picked them underrated, and it's Dustin Crum, who was today named the uh, name to the 2020 Davey O'Brien watch list for the top quarterback top college quarterbacks he he's the main reason why I'm saying underrated people are sleeping on the guy who led Kent State to their only bowl victory in school history it's just a I'd say this is a season that's going to be filled with success in Kent State from my mind when you look at four star four starters for Kent State are back like Ohio so they'll have more experience provide Dustin Crumb with more time in the pocket Xavier Williams who's coming returning from last season He'll have that experience in the backfield for that offense. And then on the defensive side of the ball, in this offseason, they had a wonderful offseason. Getting big names from big-time programs transfer here. They had Tony Butler, a transfer from Nebraska. C.J. Holmes from Penn State. Not to mention, they have their interception leader in Keith Terrell Jr. already returning. He's already been there. This defensive secondary is going to be hard to get past. Yeah, I – um. Much like what you were saying about you would have picked Toledo if I didn't pick Toledo. I think if you didn't pick Kent State and also if I didn't talk about them so much last week on our show, I mm-hmm. think I probably would have picked them as well. I, I Sam, I, I agree with you completely on this one. People, for whatever reason, are sleeping on the Golden Flashes this year. I think probably some of that has to do with the fact that historically – 
they're not one of the stronger programs in the MAC. I think when most people think about Kent State, they think about a basketball school. But I mean, Dustin Crum, you mentioned. I, I think also when I just when I'm looking at the MAC, right? When I'm looking, especially at the Eastern Division, most of the publications that I have looked at have in the East. They have Buffalo, Ohio, and Miami, Ohio in some in some combination in the top three. Buffalo, yeah, they're probably the best team in the conference. Miami, Ohio, and Ohio, though, I look at their rosters, and I don't see any more talent on those rosters than I do on Kent State's roster. I, I really, really feel like Kent State, if the cards fall their way this year, they could make it to, to Ford Field and represent the Eastern Division in the MAC championship game. I think Dustin Crum is, you know, we've talked about him a lot on here. I think he's the best quarterback in the conference. Xavier Williams is a, is a great dynamic back. And then you mentioned some of those transfers they bring in on defense. I think the defense was probably the thing that held them back a little bit last year. If they can see some uh, improvement on the defensive side of the ball, I could, I could honestly see Kent State making a trip to, to Ford Field. So it'll be interesting to see. I think that was, a, that was a great pick on your part. And I think Sean Lewis is probably kind of one of those rising star coaches that we're, uh, we're, we're, we might see here over the next couple of years. For my underrated team this year, I, I'm going with Eastern Michigan. I think Eastern Michigan is another one of those teams that is not typically thought of historically as one of the stronger programs in the map. But I think Chris Creighton, has done one of the most impressive building jobs of any Division I school here over the last couple over the last couple of years. So he's been there six years now. Uh, his first two seasons, Eastern Michigan was a combined three and twenty-two, which anyone who has followed the MAC or followed Eastern Michigan historically, three and twenty-two over a two-year stretch is is pretty much par for the course. I mean, this was a bad program even up until you know five or six years ago. But the last four seasons with Chris Creighton that Eastern Michigan has gone to three bowl games in four seasons. Prior to that, going all the way back to 1965 when they joined Division I, Eastern Michigan had only been to two bowl games. So he's brought them to three bowl games in four years after they'd only been to two as a program for their entire Division I history. A lot of people are down on them this year because Mike Glass III at quarterback is a huge loss, and I'm not discounting that at all. He was a dynamic thrower. He was a great athlete. He was a leader. He's a you know a, a really kind of a foundational piece for that program. But the things that give me hope for this program, first of all, I have a ton of confidence in Chris Creighton. The way he's recruited um, over the last four years at Eastern Michigan has really kind of risen the floor of that program and also the assumed starting quarterback this year is Preston Hutchinson who's a junior he's been in the program been in the system for two years and last year he got the chance to make one start against Western Michigan he led the, the Eagles to a 34-27 victory uh, he was 31 for 36 in that game for 357 yards and three touchdowns so I think a lot of people are expecting a drop-off from Mike Glass leaving, which certainly I can understand why they think that. But I think this kid Hutchinson coming up behind him is, is going to be just as good. You have three starters back on the O-line, which gives me hope that um, Hutchinson is going to have some time to throw. And I think the, the running back room, the, you know, they'll have some holes to run through as well. Las Vegas, you know, they, they have Eastern Michigan's win total this year at four. I think it's insane that it's that low. Before all of the scheduling stuff happened, I could easily see Eastern Michigan getting to at least five wins this year, probably to six and in, in contending for a bowl game. So 
you i i think you make excellent points there but uh, if you don't know me, if you haven't read my article, you know I'm not the biggest fan of Chris Crichton. I'm sorry. You guys gave me so much hate for it in my article and whatnot. <laughs> but I'm just not that big of a believer in Chris Crichton just for what he's done in the division. Yes, the MAC West is the strongest division of the two divisions in the MAC. But when you look at what he's done, he's done an excellent job training from the 322 record. But it's just like, how can you say this coach is that good when 2017, second to last in the MAC West, three and five, five and seven overall? 2018, solid performance, second in the MAC West, five and three in the division. And then 2019, back to last in the MAC West, three and five overall, three and five in the conference, six and seven overall. Yes, he does produce bowl games, but when you look at what he's done in the MAC, he just doesn't perform. He's, he's turned this program around relevant, whatnot, from a terrible team. But when I, when I look at Eastern Michigan, I just don't have confidence they can do it in the, the MAC, especially when this year's only going to be MAC play, only yeah. MAC teams. So this season for me, I, I just don't have confidence in Chris Crate. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously they have some holes to plug. They only have 13 starters returning, which is near the bottom of the MAC. So I certainly can see why people are, are thinking that they might have a, a down year this year. And I hear, you know, I hear what you're saying. I do think there's maybe some consistency problems with the program as far as performing week in and week out. You mentioned, you know, some some of those losses last year. You lost to, you know, to Ball State and, and Toledo on the road, stuff like that. Even getting blown out by Central Michigan last year, probably those are things that shouldn't have happened. I think he has earned himself some some leeway there, just only because of how bad Eastern Michigan was before. So it's going to be interesting to see how him and his staff plug those holes on the roster this year and, and, and what their, um, you know, what their final product uh, looks like. We had some responses from Twitter to this question that, that we wanted to get to here. D Drury 86 mentioned he, he agreed with us. Uh, Toledo and Ohio are always overrated while Eastern Michigan and Miami are underrated. So Sam, we, we talked about Toledo, Ohio and Eastern Michigan a good bit. Did you have any, any thoughts on uh, Miami of Ohio this year? What, what do you think about them? Are, are they, do you think they're underappreciated going into the season? I do think so. When you mentioned my like Miami possibly was a little bit overrated earlier, I was I wanted to chime in, but I was like I knew a Twitter comment addressed it. Yeah. I do think that Miami doesn't get the respect they deserve. I've seen yes, they're in the top three, but I think they should potentially be in that one-two conversation with Buffalo. Yes, they are coming off a MAC championship. You can't discredit that. They're I don't think they're losing a bunch of people across the board. They're returning the same coach who did a great job in leading them to the MAC championship. So I don't know how you could say that Miami's over, over necessarily overrated. I think they should. They're a little bit close to underrated in my mind. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I do think that they are underrated coming into this season. I think a big reason why I like Miami so much this year is because of Brett Gabbard, the the freshman quarterback. Every, everyone knows his. Um, his brother, Blaine Gabbard, who's been in the NFL now for, man, it feels like 10, 12 years, uh, played at Missouri back in the day. But, um, yeah, Brett came in last year as a freshman, started as a true freshman from week one, 
uh, threw for 2,400 yards, 11 touchdowns. They have nine players back on offense. I, I think their roster, they are definitely set up for success this year. My, my comment earlier about, you know, about Kent State as it re- relates to Miami of Ohio, I wasn't, I'm not knocking Miami of Ohio, just merely saying that I would also put Kent State in that group okay. of teams at the top of the division. I think when you have Brett Gabbert back and Jalen Bester and Jack Sorensen back, those are three huge pieces for their offense. And you have four offensive linemen back. I mean, this is a team I could see them getting back to, to Ford Field again. I think it could come down to like them, Kent State, and Buffalo in the East. I like a lot what they're doing right now. I think they've recruited well over the last couple of years. And after, you know, they had a run there. I feel like, uh, you know, you go back four, five, six years ago, they had a run there where their program had fallen off a little bit. And it looks like Chuck Martin's doing a good job of uh, getting them back to where, uh, where they expect to be, which is competing for MAC titles. And competing for bowl games. Another response was from Early Bird Jim. Thank you for the comment, Jim. And he, he kind of agreed with, with us there. He said, I think it's comical that Miami is consistently the underdog in conference play. They have the best Mac record in the MAC play over the last few seasons, and they just won the, the conference championship in another game that they weren't favored. So I think more agreement with, with us there. Just Aru uh, agreed with our Eastern Michigan assessment that they've been underrated for the past four years. I agree with that. Again, we talked about them making three bowl games in the last four years, which is unprecedented for them. And then Bruce Wenger also agreed with our, our Miami assessment, you know, the defending MAC champs coming off of a, of a MAC title last year. He said, I won't say consistently underrated as some, because we are now seeing the fruits of Chuck Martin and the staff's labor. And I, I think that's maybe the lesson to be learned when you're looking at Miami's program is, is kind of preaching patience with, with a coach, you know, Chuck Martin is only 30 and 45 there in five years and his first two seasons uh, he went two and ten and three and nine uh, but since then though two bowl games the last four years any any final thoughts Sam, on it uh, Sam excuse me on uh, on any of our uh, our Twitter comments from our fans so it seems like the consistent theme is Miami and Eastern Michigan are both underrated we don't have a lot of overrated which is fine but I, I, I do agree wholeheartedly that Eastern Michigan's a little bit underrated, but I think Miami, Ohio's the big one to think about. You got the freshman of the year returning. You, you didn't lose a whole lot of people on offense. It's only going to get better with as Brett Gabbard like, uh, grows and has experience. So I see great things moving forward for this Miami team. And another side note, if Ball State does not win a solid amount of games, I'm going to put them in overrated. Yeah. Until they fire fight, until they fire coach new. Yeah, yeah. I think certainly this is uh, this is the year to produce for him. I, I certainly agree with you there. For our final segment here today, to close it out with something a little bit lighter, you know, Sam and I were talking just about some of our favorite Mac moments from from the last couple of years. The prospect of not being able to watch football this fall is is certainly there and even if we might not want to think about it so I enjoy looking back on on some of my favorite moments and and you know just being a football fan in general seeing some of the great games the great performances over the last few years so we decided to go back and, and each pick our favorite Mac moment um, from last season so Sam what uh, what game did you go with so I, I was thinking between two. I had two I really wanted to go with. On basketball, we had a little bit of a better year. We placed top four in the MAC, and I was thinking about going with our win against uh, Northern Illinois. It was a really close one. They closed it out in the end. But the, the main, my favorite MAC moment, which in football, 
there wasn't a lot of bra- bright spots for me as a Ball State fan. I'm going <laughs> to say our win over Toledo. Everything about the game was just so much fun to me. First off, it was homecoming weekend. A lot of fun there. Had a blast on that weekend. We won 52 to 14. Yeah, I said it right. 52 to 14. Not to mention it was it was to close our three-game winning streak. Everything was perfect. Everything was working well from our passing game to rushing to defense to special teams. It was just so much fun to be a part of. I went to the game, had so much fun watching it. I think that game gave every Cardinal fan hope for the season, which, I mean, we didn't have much hope at the end of the season. But it gave us uh, hope. We were on a three-game win streak. It was just a bright spot, homecoming weekend. Taking that game up my spirit and having us even more – uh, homecoming weekend blowout game it was just the perfect game uh, overall as a cardinal fan yeah i can imagine there's probably was it was it a i mean homecoming weekend i'm sure there was a big crowd there too probably a good atmosphere oh <laughs> i'm gonna be honest i'm gonna be honest the the attendance at schumann stadium is a little bit spotty but i th- i if i remember correctly it was a decent crowd that's cool yeah that's awesome yeah i remember uh watching highlights of that game and even seeing um, even seeing the score come across that day as it happened, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Uh, the fact that, I mean, I think the spread in that game was only like three points. And so the fact that Ball State really dominated to that level, I can imagine there were a lot of happy Cardinal fans uh, leaving Schumann Stadium that day. For me, I'm a big fan of crazy endings, good finishes, crazy comebacks, stuff of that nature. And so that, that was what led me to pick last year's uh, Kent State uh, their comeback over Buffalo um, in November near the end of the season. So let me let me just kind of for anyone that's not familiar or that or that didn't see this game, let me let me just kind of set the stage here for you. So Kent State came into this game; they were three and six on the season, hanging to bowl eligibility by a thread. They got to win their last three games to even have a chance to get invited to a bowl game. So they come into this game knowing that. And yet even still, they go down 27 to six and they're down 20 to seven to six into the fourth quarter. And at that point, you know, when Buffalo scores, or I'm sorry, kick the field goal with 11 minutes left in the game to go up 27 to six. At that point, if you're a Kent State fan, I'm sure you probably turned the game off. You're thinking there's, there's, there's no, no chance here for us. But Xavier Williams, who we talked about a couple minutes ago, Sam, uh, he ran for a TD at tw- with seven and a half minutes ago, cut the lead to 27-13. Then uh, the ensuing kickoff, Kent State does an onside kick. We talked about my boy Matt Trickett last week, who I think is going to be have a big year for the Golden Flashes this year. They do an onside kick. Matt, Matt Trickett recovers his own onside kick. Two plays after that, Xavier Williams finds the end zone again. Dustin Crum hits him with a 41-yard touchdown. Then Buffalo goes three and out. Then Kent State blocks the ensuing punt at Buffalo and gets the ball at Buffalo's five-yard line. And then they tie the game up. Uh, with another Dustin Crum touchdown to Mike Kerrigan on fourth down, fourth and goal to tie it up at 27 with just under five minutes to play. And then as time expired, uh, Trickett came through and hit a 44-yard field goal uh, to complete the comeback. So you go from down 27-6 with 11 minutes left in the game to a touchdown, an onside kick, a a three and out, a block punt, another touchdown, and then a field goal to win. I mean, that's a, a heck of a way to end a game. That game got Penn State to four and six, kept their bowl eligibility alive, and gave them the mention that the the momentum, excuse me, to close out the last two weeks and, and get to six and six and get to a bowl game. So that was one of my favorite games 
uh, from last year, even just watching that as a neutral observer. It was such a great game, such an exciting game to watch. And when you look at the the kind of uh, context surrounding it, they were coming off a three-game losing streak against Toledo, who they just barely lost to by two, a close game against Miami, Ohio by seven, and a loss to Ohio by seven. So they needed this game not to mention just – just if they probably would have lost this game, the rest of the season would have just been a wash at this point. But they fought through. They overcame a mul- a double-digit game, powered through, uh, won this game, went on to beat Ball State, went on to beat Eastern Michigan, and then ended up with a bowl victory. So, yeah, that game was crucial for Kent State. It was definitely a fun game to watch. I think I watched bits and pieces of it towards the end. Yeah. yeah. That, that game is definitely one to to one one game to watch. Yeah, it was one of those classic Maxion games where it was I think it was on a Wednesday night. Maybe it was a Thursday. Wednesday or Thursday night Maxion game. It was like, you know, 15 degrees or something like that. So, um, one of the just a just a classic Mac game all around. And I think with that guys, I think that's going to about do it for us here today. Uh, Sam, do you have any closing thoughts? Anything uh, from from the news in the beginning? Any anything on the overrated, underrated, or or here on the, uh, the favorite, our favorite moments from last year? Uh, not really. I think we basically touched on all of it. We appreciate your guys' feedback. If you haven't, follow at Mac underscore bandwagon when we post the question of the week. If you want to put it, answer that. You'll we'll be sure to highlight your uh, name to get you guys involved. If you have any suggestions at all. Let us know. Absolutely, absolutely. Please follow us on Twitter, guys. Interact with us. We, you know, we, part of the content here is going to be driven by what you guys want to hear. So we look forward to the back and forth. We appreciate the fans that have already reached out and, and you know commented on some of our uh, previous stuff. We appreciate that. We look forward to, to seeing you guys here again next week. This is the Mac Bandwagon Podcast. I am Zach Follower. He is Sam Filman. Thanks for joining with joining us today, guys. We'll talk to you next week.